You're listening to The Deal. I'm Danny Brown. This week's guest, Stacey Feinberg, head of Family Law at Cypress Law. She's a brilliant attorney. She's a brilliant, funny lady. Love hanging with her. She gets into some taboo topics around divorce and and postnups and settlements and life in the big city. We may not want to talk about it, but um, she's going to make us talk about it, and it's all good. Many other guests coming up soon. Appreciate you guys listening in. we got Josh Levine of Rebel Radio coming soon. We have Greg Shane, luxury home builder, coming up soon. Uh, don't forget to turn, tune in and check out some other episodes. Uh, big shout-out to James Ferrier, our guest from a few months ago, who's been named to the Hall of Fame class of two. 2020, the NFL Hall of Fame. So check out that episode and many others. And let's get into Stacey. Bye. Today I have a very special, wonderful guest, Stacey Feinberg. How are you, Stacey? I'm good. Thanks for joining us. Stacy is the head of family law at Cypress Law Firm in Los Angeles. She's an expert in family law, among other things. Known each other a long time, and I'm really excited to, to get into this divorce talk. Uh, this is a very serious issue. It's a big part of uh, the world we live in, and you're an expert on it. So I would love for you to kind of walk us through what are the most common things you see in, uh, that cause divorce? Start with that. Uh, I mean, I would say that, you know, financial stress is a pretty big ticket item in terms of causes of divorce. I also think just expectations in general are a problem. I think anyone who's been married knows that marriage isn't a good time all the time. It can be it can be really difficult. It can be really frustrating. And there's highs and lows. And there's periods of amazingness and periods of horribleness. And I think that oftentimes when things sort of fall into the category of, um, you know, the not so great times, people get frustrated and they're looking for a way out. I, and I and I think that, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes I see, I will have people come meet with me to talk about whether or not they want to get a divorce. And I'll see them multiple times over a period of a year, two years, three years. Got it. And they're not ready to pull the trigger for whatever reason. And then I'll see them at one point later and they'll be like, I know I'm ready. I'm ready. So it's different, you know, what that litmus test is for different people. Yeah. You know, when yeah. they're ready to do that, when they're ready to say, this is irretrievably Come a little broken. Closer, please. Okay. Closer to the mic. I got it. That the, the relationship's done and I'm gonna be happier in a different situation. And I only yeah. have so much time on earth left. I would say what's interesting is that when women come to that conclusion, typically they're thinking, I would rather be alone than with this person. Men typically come to that conclusion, they sort of already have an idea of what plan B is gonna look like because they don't want to be alone. Got it, understood. That's just sort of my observation. All right, and 
can you kind of walk us through what is a typical scenario? I know there's probably not one typical scenario, but walk us through what would be a t- typical scenario of a couple or an individual that comes to you? What's the situation? And then what does it look like if they're saying, all right, I'm ready to get divorced. What do they need to do? What do they, how do they prepare for it? What kind of give us the ABCs or the, the intro to divorce and how, what someone has to prepare for? Well, the first thing that you have to do is you have to, you know, file a petition with the court in California and asking for dissolution. Now, there's a mandatory six month cooling off period. So nothing's gonna happen in terms of getting an actual stamp of divorce for six months. You could work out the deal faster than that, but you're not gonna get your stamp for six months. Um, And typically, if there are significant assets, children, complicated issues, it's gonna take you much longer than six months anyway to hammer it all out. there's these, you know, mandatory disclosure forms where you have to exchange all of the financial information so everyone knows like what the pot is, what you're looking at that mm-hmm. needs to be divided, what the kid issues are. I mean, so every divorce is different. So it's like, do you own real property? Is there a business that was created during marriage? Are there minor children? How many minor children? Are there issues with drug and alcohol abuse? I mean, there's like the list goes on and on and on. So there's no typical yeah. case. I mean, I think if there was, there's no way to sort of streamline it unless you, you're coming into it and you have no real property, no children. Um, that's sort of a pretty easy. Well, let's divorce. assume that let's assume it's a typical West Side family with two or three children, a house, country club. They own real estate. Maybe they own a second house. They have pretty significant assets. Uh, assuming there's no prenup, where do they go from there? Everyone does these disclosures and says, this is what we own. And the lawyers then negotiate. Yeah. I mean, you sit down, you've got to figure out, you know, does someone want to stay in the house and keep the house? Can they afford to keep the house? What are the support amounts going to be? Are they going to lend enough money? for the spouse that's going to remain in the home to be able to afford the mortgage and the property taxes and the upkeep of the house. Um, you just sort of take the landscape of all the financial pieces and start t- trying to kind of move the puzzle pieces around. In California, anything that has been earned through the fruit of your labor uh, or acquired during the marriage with money earned through the fruit of your labor, that's community property that is okay. going to be divided 50-50 sort of the general rule. And if it's something that you brought to the marriage before, it stays with that person? If someone had a significant asset or assets before they got married? Yes. Anything that's separate uh, that was yours from prior to marriage is your sole and separate property. Where it can get sort of confusing is when your premarital money or your premarital investment gets commingled into the community. Uh, for example, if you had a business that you owned before you got married and the business grew during the marriage, but part of why it grew during the marriage is because you were working in it. Mm-hmm. And so your community labor was creating value for your separate company. And so now you have the issue of figuring out, well, if this 
business is worth a million dollars, how much of it can be contributed to the separate property value? How much can it be contributed to the community value? So so then all of a sudden it sort of becomes like a hybrid asset. Yeah. So that's where it gets complicated trying to audit and figure out valuing a business from the day you're married to the day you're divorced. And yes. Lots yes. of experts need to get called in. Lots of people to get paid. Yeah. In the different cottage industries that support the divorce uh, world here in Los Angeles. So once there, that's all being looked at and settled, how do you look at uh, child support and spousal support? Is is it an equation? Is it a, you know, if you make X, this amount percentage goes to that? Uh, how would it's, we? Yeah, it's a, child support is a mathematical equation. So that is a mathematical equation, and the terms that go into that are going to be the income of the parties. Um, I don't want to say mom and dad because it could be mom and mom or dad and dad. Yeah. Um, but the income of the parties are taken into account. The timeshare, meaning how much the children are with one parent versus the other, is another factor. And then also the tax implications. So if one parent has uh, a mortgage and property taxes that they're deducting, it's going to change um, how much usable cash they have for purposes of calculating support. Yeah. But there's a there's a mathematical equation uh, that all these sort of numbers get put into and a number gets spit out. For spousal support, it's a little bit different. Spousal support, the first thing you have to look at is the duration of the marriage. So if the marriage is under 10 years in California, it's considered a marriage of short duration. Okay. All that means is that spousal support is going to be awarded for half the length of the marriage. So if you've been married for five years, your spousal, the the most amount of spousal support you're gonna get in terms of duration is two and a half years. Okay. Um, then once you cross that 10 year threshold, it doesn't mean you get spousal support for life. People have this, this uh, false narrative like oh that 10-year mark once you hit that 10-year yes, mark I've... you're screwed you're paying support for the rest of your life that's not true the statute says once you cross that threshold you're now you're no longer in a short-term marriage so we're now in what's called a long-term marriage and it doesn't mean you get it for life it means that there's like a bunch of factors that a court is going to consider when making a determination as to how much spousal support is awarded and how long it's going to be awarded for. And some of those factors are going to be the income that the parties were earning during the marriage. Mm -hmm. If one party took a step back from working in order to stay home and raise children um, and now needs additional time to sort of get back up to speed and, and get back into the work environment, the age and the health of the parties, if they're both able-bodied and can work. Um, the marital standard of living comes into play then, which is, um, you know, what were they spending during marriage? What was typical? Um, so there's, there's a whole multitude of factors that get taken into account, and that becomes a much more complicated issue. It is not just a math calculation. Not that easy. No. And then I imagine also with if you have dual incomes, but they're not exact, you know, that comes into play too. Yes, absolutely. That's got to be part of it as well. I imagine. Absolutely. So it's a, it's very complicated. Now the, just drilling down on the kids time factor is 
who decides the two parents negotiating a settlement on who gets the kids at what time? Or do the courts have other laws that say, you know, the, the mother's the caretaker or the father? No, no, no. What, what, so how's that work? Basically, the way that it works is when I'm talking about like wh what California law does, I'm talking about what happens if you can't come to an agreement about things and a judge is the one who's telling you what you're going to do and Got making it. orders. Ultimately, if two people either through a mediator or through their counsel, they can dictate whatever agreement they want. Both, so you can ignore the law if you both, can agree. Yeah, both in terms of the kid stuff and in terms of the money stuff. Got it, okay. So let's say the child support calculation spits out, I'm gonna use easy numbers, spits out $500 a month. But both parties know that because Timmy has travel soccer and Sarah has, um, you know, has some special needs and needs to go to a special private school, that that money is is not going to be enough. And so they work out a different deal, yeah. right? They have the right to do that. Yeah. Same goes with the schedule. You can come up with whatever schedule, especially in L.A. Right. where you have a lot of people who, like in the entertainment industry, who are traveling all the time or who are gone for periods of time because mm -hmm. they're on location and then they come back. You know, I've done some of the most, you know, crazy scheduling things with people about, you know, onset versus offset versus when you're in town versus, you Got know, it. as long as you're willing to be open and creative, you can, you could, there's a million different ways, you know, to skin this cat. But if you're going to end up in the court, then, then it, a judge the first, is going to start with the concept the and the idea that a child's best interest is going to be served with equal access to both parents, frequent and continuing access with both parents. That doesn't necessarily mean 50, 50 on the dot. But it means that they're going to be seeing both parents um, frequently and um, often enough where it's going to be pretty close to 50-50. You start veering away from that when there's other issues like drugs and alcohol or, or difficult work schedules right. where okay. one parent is just in a much better position to pick up the kids. Or if you have kids that are really, really little and are still at home or if you have a breastfeeding child like there's yeah, all these there's all these different factors yes, yes. so along those lines uh, maybe no average but out of every 10 people you deal with that go through this what percentage of those 10 just kind of work the deal with themselves versus they can't come to an agreement themselves it then has to go to the courts and does that become i mean trials I, and yeah things? i've i've push my clients to do everything in their power to avoid going to court. Court is a nightmare. Court is expensive. And you ultimately are getting in front of a judicial officer who has his week packed with hundreds of cases. Yeah. And they don't know your kids. They right. don't know what your well, life looks like. Everyone. You yeah. know your kids. You know what your yeah. life looks like. You know what the needs are. So it's like things have to be you have to be at a point where the other party is so unreasonable and unwilling to work something out that you basically have no, no choice, choice but to go to court. Yeah. You know, like for example, if the other party said, I want to have the kids 100% of the time and you get to see them one day a year. Well, okay, if that's their position and they won't budge, then you're going to end up in court because yeah. where else are you going to go? Yeah, yeah. All right, so it's extreme. Hopefully, it's only extreme cases when one side has gone off the cliff, and you. Well, that's how I. That's, that's your, how I take it. Right. I would not say that my community of family attorneys in Los Angeles necessarily that. follows that. 
because they're getting paid mantra. to go to court. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I, I, that's my, that's how I feel about it. That's 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 really how I feel about it. I really don't. I think often things are litigated that just never should have been litigated, yeah. and it really bums me out. So what are things young couples that are together thinking of getting married, what are some things they could do to prepare themselves for marriage and the pitfalls that come? Are there are there basic things that all couples should be thinking about? I mean, I think it's really important that people start talking about money and finances. It's sort of become this taboo topic in our society. It's like gauche to be talking about money and what your thoughts and feelings are about money. But it's important going into a marriage to know sort of not only what are the assets that you each have, what are the debts, is there student loan, is there credit card debt, um, but also what are the plans, you know, going into this? Is it gonna be that one parent's gonna be a primary earner and the other parent you know, if you have kids, is gonna is gonna step away and raise those kids. Are both parents gonna work? Is everyone flexible so that even if originally it's gonna be that one parent works and one parent stays home, but if if something happens and you're not able to generate enough income, is the other parent at home willing to go back into the work field? Yeah. Like you need to know this upfront. Upfront, you need to sense. have really open and honest conversations about money. It's yeah. shocking to me how many clients and friends, personal friends of mine, are just walking around this city and they don't have a clue about their family finances. Really? And these are typical West Side, high net worth, wealthy families Absolutely. and they have no clue. Absolutely. That's scary. Very scary. That's very scary. And then you end up in a divorce situation, you don't even know what, what you're dealing with. It's, it's, it's scary because there's a, even though there are certain things that you need a spouse's signature on, um, you know, if you're refinancing a home or, um, you know, any kind of legal document, you're going to need their signature. But oftentimes these signatures are obtained by it's like 10 o'clock at night and your spouse is like, oh, honey, the lawyer gave me this to sign. Can you just sign it? You know, they're not reading they're it. Not going through they're it, not yeah. paying attention. And so then it's time to get divorced. And they're like, oh, we have, you know, an eight million dollar home in Beverly Hills. And I'm like, that's so great because you also have a five million dollar primary mortgage, a two and a half million dollar HELOC, yeah. a credit card that has, you know, God knows how much debt and all of this wealth that you thought you had like is like psh, yeah. and then whatever's left you're like actually you're only getting half, half of, that. of that half of the nothing and that's don't left. forget about the broker fees yeah and you know who knows if the house is even worth what you think it's worth right. that's on its best day right so there's a lot of that so there's yes. a lot of people coming to you thinking well we have enough money we're fine we'll get divorced it's fine and then when you break it down they realize uh-oh they might have a lot uh -oh. of assets but there's a ton of debt and a ton of yeah, Money or it's owed. like, or the, it's like even just saying you you lease your cars, and people are like, well, but it's still like I own the car, and I'm like, no, you you lease your car, yeah, you can't sell it and get money for it. Let you can't me liquidate the lease, right? Let me let me sit down and explain to you what your lease is because it's actually an obligation, yeah. right? Like I get it, you're driving a really nice car, but it's not yours, yeah. like. I don't know how else to explain this. So how about the topic of prenup? We prenups. want prenup. Prenup. Yeah. So prenup. when is that appropriate? I mean, 
is it just someone super wealthy? Like, what are the, what do you think in your professional opinion is that obviously anyone could get a prenup and say, let's split a hundred bucks. But what is, what do you think is appropriate? How would you say like, this is someone that I I would advise. say don't get a prenup over a hundred dollars because it's going to cost you a lot more to have it written. <laughs> You're going to lose money on that When deal. would you advise somebody that, hey, a prenup is probably appropriate? Prenups are, prenups have definitely um, become popular. Uh, in the last couple of years, I've seen a huge increase in the number of prenups that I'm doing uh, in my work. I think it's because people are getting married a little bit later mm -hmm. and they're getting married and both parties are coming into the marriage with either intellectual property or uh, wealth that they've acquired and they want to make sure that it's protected. Um, in California, what you're coming into the marriage with, that's your soul and separate property, no matter what. So that, that if you have, you know, you inherited a million dollars from grandpa and it's sitting in an account and it's, you know, not being utilized except for to take money out for you to spend or buy, then, you know, I would say you don't really need a prenup. That's your separate yeah. property. There's no, there's no confusion on that. But if you're taking that money out and you're starting a business, and that business is being created during marriage, well, then it gets it gets confusing. So, so there are reasons to get a prenup when you not only want to say what I had before is mine, but you want to say things that I'm going to be creating during the marriage, they're also going to be mine. Mm -hmm. um, or if you want to limit spousal support. So that can be done in a, a couple different ways. One way is, you know, you've got two people that are both brain surgeons they both are self-supporting and they both want to have an agreement that basically says we're not going to be able to seek spousal support from each other. Okay. So they You're, can say that's an yeah. upfront. We agree. Up front, we're waving it. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's one scenario. Simple, Another scenario is you have someone who's had a whole career, let's say like a, a business person or a uh, athlete mm -hmm. um, and they've, sign some contract and they're going to be getting a huge $10 million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. Now they don't want their, if things don't work out, they don't want spousal support to be based on their income of $10 million a year because this person that just came into their life wasn't there while they created their ability to sure. earn this kind of money. So oftentimes you'll just come up with some sort of limit or flat fee amount in lieu of. Got it. Um, Make an agreement and say, "Hey, look, I've been this established actor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be making tons of money. Rather than letting the courts figure out community property, I'm gonna agree right now that if we somehow yes. get divorced, we're gonna agree to. I'm gonna give you a two million dollar payment if we're divorced within ten years, and if it's after ten yeah. years, maybe it's five. Yeah. What you it can be do, anything. There's a million. There's a million right. ways. There's to a million the ways to do that. But you can make an upfront agreement so that if it happens, there is no question that." And the other reason to do that is so that you can get divorced sort of quickly, quietly, and without having to bring in all these forensics and lawyers to dissect your whole life and turn what's already a pretty difficult situation into just like a complete nightmare. Yeah. So are we okay on mics? Yeah, pull it to the end of the table. So is there scenarios where one of the parties, it, 
you where they can just get forced into bankruptcy, so to speak, where a court can say, well, you got all this stuff. And even if you don't have the income to pay for it and you're just forcing it or is it, not, is it a little smarter than that? And it's a little more flexible than that. May, just so I understand what you're saying, meaning you sign a prenuptial agreement. That says if we get divorced, I'm going to pay you two million dollars. Well, I guess if you sign a prenup, I'm not talking about. That. I'm talking if you don't have a prenup, okay. And there's all these equate. I guess I'm going back. There's all these equations of who owes who what, right? And the courts say this is what you owe. This is what the calculations are. And like, oh my god, for support for all of it. Yeah, if one of the parties is paying all this support and they can't even pay it. They but don't support's going to be one of. It's going to be. Ba- it's going to be based on income. So if that person's not making enough money. I mean, the, it's adjustable. I mean, like they we're going to decide. Mo- well, it's a child support's always modifiable until the kids are eighteen. Got so, it. if you agree at the time of divorce to a child support amount that's based on you earning, you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year, if you lose your job, then you have to go back to the court and request a modification. Court. And if you start, you know, making even more money, then, the then your spouse can go back into court and ask for an increase upward. And that's just for child support child or that's for support. spouse support too? Child support is always modifiable. Spousal support can be modifiable. It depends how the original support order was written. So you can have a non-modifiable order if the parties agree to it, or you can have a agreement that says that spousal support is modifiable but then at this date, the court loses jurisdiction to award it. Yeah. So you can go back in for X number of years, but then it stops. Wow. Um, there's a, there's a, there's, there's so many variables. So many, so many flavors. So many flavors. So many flavors. Well, can, I know this stuff, a lot of stuff you can't talk about, but is there any sort of interesting nightmare stories that you can talk about without giving details or what things that you can talk about that won't get you in any trouble? Or is that a negative? Well, that I mean, no, it's not. It's just not. It's like I'm trying to I, yeah, pull out, some fun, pull out some fun, some fun, interesting, facts, entertaining. Not necessarily. It's not fun. I mean, I know there's nothing fun about this, but um, no, it's. I mean, you have to have a sense of. First of all, you have to have a sense of humor about this. Um, and I think that you know when I meet with people. Um, my background, by the way, is in litigation. That's right. So I used to be a litigator and. And Cyprus, where I work now, is actually a, both a litigation and a corporate firm. The family law department is sort of like me and uh, my associate. And then there's one other partner who dabbles in family law. Um, but because I, my background's in litigation, I always have sort of like an interesting take on everything as opposed to sort of these like family law firms where everyone's just doing family law all day I long. I totally do, yeah. Um, I've done I've done a lot of a lot of different kinds of business litigation. I've also done um, what's called Marvin Law, which is when two people are unmarried and they break up and then one spouse sues the uh, not a spouse, one boyfriend or girlfriend sues the other for promises made. Got it. Okay, Marvin under law. under contracts law, which is just civil litigation, okay? Uh, it's called Marvin Law because it's based on uh, the California Supreme Court case uh, involving Lee Marvin, who was a famous actor who died and his long-term girlfriend sued his estate. Um, what? Jeez. I know Lee Marvin. You know Lee Marvin? Of his work. Of his work. Yeah. Okay. Um, I can't so believe that's a thing. It's a major thing. 
I mean, you've seen it in the press, like when you yeah, get. Yeah, I've seen it. You know, I'm trying to think, like probably one of the more like Bill Maher has been sued under and, Marvin um, like three or four times, I think. Three uh, or four what's his name? Viacom. He was uh, the girlfriends were all doing his estate. Uh, yes. What's my call? I'm blanking out. Redstone. Summer. Summer Redstone. Uh, yeah. Girl, had longtime girlfriends, and they wanted the house in Bel Air. They wanted the yeah, thirty yeah, yeah. million. They wanted to. So a lot of times. Um, You'll get now as part of prenups, you'll have a waiver of your Marvin rights. Or if you have a cohabitation agreement where you're living with your significant other, you'll have them sign a Marvin waiver. So if you don't sign a Marvin waiver, a waiver yeah. and you have a long-term boyfriend you or girlfriend. Could, you could get sued. sued. But I, I mean, these are very difficult cases to, to win. Prove? Yeah, I would But so. a lot but of times you settle because you want to. To go away, yeah, Yeah, because it's a it's a pain it's pain in the butt to deal with a a lawsuit in the middle of your life. So, what got you to family law? Because you were doing litigation. Yes, you were in Colorado for a while. I was, but I practiced family law in in in, Colorado in Aspen. Yeah, wow. Um, Which is like people are like, oh, are things so crazy in LA? I'm like, nothing's crazier than the people in Aspen. In terms of divorce and Aspen, just because the money there is so so insane. Um, and sometimes the more money you have, just the more irrational you can be about these things, um, because you can spend as much as you want on this kind of stuff. Um, I was working at a firm in Century City, uh, after I graduated from UCLA called Christensen Miller while Christensen Miller Glazer while I don't it's it's the name has changed a bunch of times but a big firm a big firm in Um, the litigation business, right yes um and when I was there I had a mentor uh whose name was Nabil Abu Asal and he actually run Cyprus um but he was my mentor, and I ended up working on a, a case that involved family law. Oh, okay. And I really liked it. And we had co-counsel from another firm that just did family law, and she offered me a job. And that's sort oh. of, and I decided, you know what, this is an area that I'm really interested in. I'm going to go leave big firm life and 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 look at this as an option. And I really liked it. And so when I ended up meeting my husband and we moved to Colorado, I decided to make that the focus of my practice. Yeah. Um, we had some fun in Colorado. Where did you take us to dinner outside of Aspen? What was that little town called? Carbondale. Carbondale. Love Carbondale. <laughs> Incredible. We were just, I just, I go back every summer like with that. my kids. I need I to get back there. So beautiful. We love it. So that's what got you into family law. So yes. are you able to say what, what, what a typical divorce would cost a typical West Side family, six-figure to seven-figure salary with a house and kids. Like, what would be like a standard range that people would spend just on the divorce legal side? How Let's, crazy are the people? Let's talk about non-crazy all the way to psychotic crazy. So let's talk about sort of... I mean, I've had cases where I had people who spent over $100,000 fighting over a spoon collection. You know those spoons... <laughs> You know those That's spoons. You know get. those spoons you get at the airport. You know, what? like when you're at the airport and you're in the magazine section looking for a magazine, and then sometimes I don't even know if they have them. The anymore. spoon from There's like spoons. So it's like Pittsburgh. Waikiki. No, yeah, Pittsburgh, Waikiki, right? Key West. Yeah. And then you can collect a spoon from all these airports to been. show where you've been. These spoons are 
three dollars, maybe. And there was a fight about this spoon collection. And it wasn't about what it was worth. Everyone knows it's worth bupkis. It was just that they both wanted the spoon. And we're going back and And forth forth and back and forth and threatening this and threatening that. And we're going to go to court. And I want the spoon. And finally, I had to say to my client, like, how much money do you want to spend on the spoons? I will go out and buy you spoons. Replicate Like, let's go on eBay. There's got to be someone who's selling like a lot. Of yeah. spoons. Every spoon, right? Every spoon from every airport. And anywhere you go for in the rest of your life, you'll, they'll have a spoon right. for it. I was just like, come on. How much time are we going to waste on the spoon? So it's just about the, how psychotic people want to ramp up. It's not. It's obviously not about the spoon. Of course. It's, it's about, just about the principle of who it's wants about, it. They get yeah. mad. They're hurt. And they're unable to see the big picture, they're focused on the immediate, right? And a lot of times, the spoons are a funny example. When it becomes not funny is when it involves kids. And they're doing things that that impact the children. Oh, that's awful, yeah. Um, in order to harm the other spouse. That's when, I mean, I've had clients say to me, I want to file a lawsuit to do X, Y, and Z. And, it, and I will say, you know, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel right to me. That feels vindictive. And I'm not going to do it. And they're like, well, I, you know, I, I, I've got, I want to, I want to do this. I'll pay you to do this. And I'd say, I'm sure you can pay to do this, but I'm going to, I'm going to assume that there are hundreds of lovely lawyers throughout West Los Angeles who would love to take your money, to take your money and do this, but I can't. Ugh. Yeah. And I run into that a lot. More often than I should. Yeah. So you're passing because pass. of some awful situations. I pass. And I've learned in the long run that sometimes the client doesn't want to hear my advice. Um, but in the long run, I think it's, you know, and maybe I lose out on the, you know, work that would have been done in that, in that case. Yeah. Um, but in the long run, it's allowed me to get really high quality clients right filter out yeah and to have a and to have an ongoing stream of 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 referrals from people saying you know you stacy she like actually cares Cares, does it the right way she has a soul she's not a soulless blood sucker she's not doing this for sport like she hire stacy if you want the someone with soul can you give an answer for like what's a standard divorce expect to pay fifty thousand, a hundred thousand? If there's no problem, it's easy. And it and are how there long? okay? Are there kids? Yes, kids. Okay, there's is, a house. Okay, you know. are, is there a fight about the kids? Or everyone's like, we no, got this. This is not a fight. Everyone's reasonable, okay. but it is the typical West Side fan. You know. Okay. Uh, and then we'll go the other extreme, just okay. so we have a range. Let's and I'm say not saying somewhere, let's exactly. say fifty. Like, let's say fifty to seventy-five. Fifty to seventy-five and is a if simple. Every, if it's simple, simple. And what would it? In typical span, how long would it take to do that? A year, six months, two years. Are we selling a house or is someone buying yeah. the house out? Do oh no, you're not. To, you're, no, but you're not selling the house. You're just okay. one person staying in the house. Okay. Um. You should be able to get it done in six months. Okay, so it doesn't take years and years. It does not. So have that's to. the simplistic. Form. The years and years happens when it's, things start getting nasty. And so now let's go to the extreme. Okay. Something's it's getting nasty. It's yes. taking years and years. Everyone's vindictive. Uh, there's a lot of assets in play. There's the ten million dollar house. There's the Mexico house. I have a case that I just finished up that I started. 
right when I went back to work after I had Lila, who's nine. So I went back to work a couple months after I had Lila. So that was nine years ago. I started working with this client. I went through an entire second pregnancy, had my second child. Now that second child is seven years old. I just finished up this Whoa. case. I literally am like, I can't work on this anymore because the next time I finish this, my kids are going to be like in college. Like, this is insane. Like, we can't be doing this anymore. And it did settle. It did finalize. It did finally settle. And so what is the range of in that kind of scenario? What would be a range? Are we talking billions, seven figures over seven years? I mean, I mean, of course, people have spent more or less, but. What would be a complicated probably close head- to probably close that person that the fees on both sides yeah. in that case definitely exceeded a million dollars for sure without- each side two million or like one total ish um or it could be either so a seven figures yeah, is if it gets to be a nightmare numbers. it can be a nightmare if yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. nightmare and it's high net worth families it's seven and figures. it's like i want it's like i don't even it's like i don't want to work on your case yeah, i don't want yeah. i don't want to build these hours right. like it, i i would rather not be doing this. of course but that reality is it could get that it can bad get so crazy and besides spoons what will be some other crazy things where we'd go what people are really doing that i mean i'm sure some of it is super serious kids fighting kids over stuff. awful things that you we would never want to yeah, kids stuff is always the toughest. Um, I've done a lot of high conflict custody. Um, I had one case where I went in and I was trying to get a dad sole legal and physical custody of his child because the mom we believed had some very serious mental health yeah. concerns and some other stuff. And that was a very long drawn out custody case. And at the end, the judge did award him full legal and physical custody. And I burst into tears in the courtroom. Yeah. I was like, I was sobbing like a baby because I cared about this family so much and I cared about this kid and I loved this dad so much. I wanted, he wanted, he wanted to, to give his child the best life he could. And he wasn't able to do it when with, with, a mom who was sick. Right. So it was, it was very emotional. That was, I mean, that was a while ago that that, I had that case, but that was like, I get, I can get, I try to stay kind of stoic, but then I, I break down to you're human. Oh yeah. You're human. Oh yeah. I used to have more men than women. I would say it's evened out now. Yeah. Because they, men want to hire a woman because especially if, I find that they have a stay-at-home wife. They like women lawyers because if the wife takes this position like, well, I have two kids and I got to be at home with them and how can you expect me to go back to work? And it's like, well, my lawyer seems to be doing okay and she's got two kids and, you know, she's doing all right. And oftentimes you've got a female judge who also has... When you say oftentimes, I mean ratios, there's more female judges or just I never mean, know. The, it's a it's constantly moving around yeah. downtown. So They're you never know what you're you never know what you're going to get. But you've got, you know, probably 50, 50 a 50 chance. 50 chance of getting a female yeah. judge who's working and raised kids yes, right, while right. she was a judge. So don't can't yeah. stand up there and talk about how you need to be home at three o'clock. Uh, right. When you've got there's aftercare programs. Gotta at get the a school. job. J.O.B. Right. You know, it's like the 
man. So. So it's it, yeah, that's tricky. That's tricky. God, there's so many other. But I've things. had I've trying to think of some crazy. Oh, here's a here's a here's a crazy story that I had when I was working in Colorado. I had a client who was a billionaire with a B. Um, mm-hmm. It was inherited money. He was a very um, odd, unique little duck. He you did, don't say. Inherited a billion dollars. He was a little eccentric. He was a weird dude. He was a super <laughs> weird dude. And I get a call from the family office. Mm-hmm. And they're worried because he has a woman living with him. And in Colorado, unlike in California, there is common law marriage. So um, they were worried that if this woman moves in, now all of a sudden she's going to think she's his wife and going to sue him. And there's no agreement in place. And they want an agreement in place. And so, you know. So here they come to you. So so they come to me. And I'm thinking I'm going to meet her and she's going to be like, this 25 year old hot young sexy thing right she's not so he comes in and he brings her in she's in her mid-60s oh wow maybe he the man by the way is like probably in his 40s she's in her mid-60s and she doesn't have front teeth oh and had um, like makeup on, like so, like she had taken like clown makeup, like a lipstick, and drawn um, like circle rouge. Oh, like come on. she looked, cra- she looked crazy. And I, I, I remember I come into the co- into the conference room, and I'm like, "Can I get you something to drink? Like, would you like coffee or tea?" And she's like, "Do you have bourbon?" And I was like, "It's like eight in the morning," and I'm like, "Not, I don't have any here." <laughs> wow. Um, that was crazy. What was he like? Was he, he must he be beyond. He was very psych- eccentric. He was very eccentric. You think so? He's just got no teeth drinking bourbon at AM with clown makeup? I mean, this guy. Well, he wasn't. That I was know, the woman. That's who's living with oh, him. yes. That's that, his choice lo- of. He loved her. He loved her. Yes, he loved her. He was into teeth, toothless women. Everyone's got their thing. To- they, they, they met at the Vapor Caves, which is. <laughs> What is the vapor? Which is caves? like these hot springs in uh, Glenwood, which is like Down Valley from Aspen, where you where people go and like hang hot out and like. Uh, where people go to a, fall in love. Where apparently. people go to fall in love, but it's it was it was bizarre. The whole thing was bizarre. That is. That's wacky. what I'm saying. Like the cra- really crazy stuff is when you're dealing with people with that kind of money. Like you can't even anticipate. Yeah, the there's crazy. just you can't write a script nope. about this stuff. Nope. Oh my God. Well, anything else you want to educate us on? Any other interesting stories? Any things you want to promote about your business? I know you were on another podcast, but you, yes, you, you were just I went on. on the- I went on the podcast, The Divorce Sucks, yep. with Laura Wasser. How was that? Um, it was fun. I went on uh, to talk about um, primarily like surrogacy law. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's an interesting situation. Um, which is another area that I work in. Touch um, on that a little bit because we do hear about, oh, someone wants to be a sperm donor. Is that what Right. Well, I've written an article uh, in the Huffington Post called The Death of the Known Sperm Donor, which was on the heels of that Jason Patrick case that mm-hmm. was a few years ago. Do you remember that? Kind he of. Had, it was a public he donated. case. No, he had a girlfriend oh. and they I broke can't. up and she used sperm that that was had been 
Frozen. Or- Frozen or whatever that he had given her permission to use. And then he came back into their lives and then sued for for um, paternal rights. Mm-hmm. So I, it was a complicated case, but um, I had written an article about it. And so we were talking about that. Um, but that's a whole area that's evolving, especially sure. in L.A. where you I mean, I don't know if you're seeing this at your kid's school, but the parents are like older and older and older. It's not yep. like it's not like, you know, I'm like I would I mean, I'm not young. I'm 41 years old and you're I'm young. like one you're of young. the and I'm like one of the younger parents in in yeah, people are starting families grade. later and later. Yeah. The biology hasn't caught up with the sociology. Therefore, that's why we have this niche. Right. So you're seeing old, you know, people doing a lot of. Well, there's just a lot more people that are ha- trying to have kids later, later and finding out that they can't themselves. And so, and so then do. they're egg donors and sperm donors and surrogates. And, you know, it's 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 amazing, actually. I think it's kind of amazing yeah. because how modern medicine has allowed people who, you know, maybe didn't have the capacity, ability or means to have a family when they were, you know, fertile or uh, able to have children. But mm-hmm. there's all these other ways and they can do it later. Yeah. So it's incredible. actually it's pretty neat. Science, technology. So tell us about that type of basic law. I'm clueless about that. So if somebody donates an egg or donates their sperm. Well, most of the it, time you're getting it like through a bank. And so and it's an unknown. It's and unknown. You have no and rights. There was an article in The New York Times a couple months ago about like someone who had gone on to like one of these 23andMe sites and was able to locate all of these siblings o- across the country yeah. that had the same, same I guess the same sperm donor had been oh, used all over and was able to go around and like meet their siblings. Oh, that's so it's creating some Was that weird... a documentary? I feel like I, I saw something that like that. Was it my, I don't know. I read an article about it in the Times. I don't know that if would there be was a, good a documentary. show. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe not. Um, but what yeah. if it's not that? What if it's a hey, you're a great friend of ours. It's uh, it's mom and mom getting married. We'd like you to donate sperm. I have friends because I've that. heard of that too. I've yeah. had friends that have done yeah. that. That becomes complicated. Uh, and vice versa, you know, or two man right. and man getting married. We yeah. want to donate your eggs. So that's what? where it's got to get real yeah, complicated. Yeah, it's like you're seeing that person. You're in their life. You're in their life, and then it's like, what are the boundaries? So. What? That's where it, there's many variables and there's, there's no a lot of I'm variables. Sure. And also there's but there's a benefit, which is the if there's questions or, or information that you need about that person's health and history, they're available to you to get that information. Um, you get some of that information when you go to like a sperm bank or an egg donor bank, but you, you can't get as much as if the person was, you could pick up the phone and, and say, says, like, yeah. did anyone in your family have psoriasis? Yeah, you know? I have anxiety, I have right, heart, yeah. cholesterol, whatever. Right. Um, but it's it's an evolving it's an evolving practice. So there is no standard to say, okay, if you're going to be the donor, if some, and I mean, it's you can sign in your inner circle. You can make your contract for any way you, you want. want. Yeah, doesn't mean you're going to, those are harder to enforce, I think, just because like. I kind of think that because once the baby comes, you may feel like, yeah, I'm just going to do this. This is not my baby. But once it comes, you might have a whole different feel. Right. When it's like, that's right. my. <laughs> and that was one of the things that happened in the Jason Patrick case. Um, but yeah, no, actually, it was, 
my my I have two kids and then I mean I'm I'm not having any more I'm done but um there was probably like a very small window where I was like maybe I'll have a third and my husband definitely wanted a third sure you said he now he's he's retired so I Mr. Mom doing he's not reti- he's not retired he's not retired he no his, but he's having he, fun working he out sold he <laughs> sold his business and he is trying to uh, pivot into getting back into more like hardcore environmental issues yeah. like from when he was at the Rocky Mountain Institute yeah that's sort of his passion so he wants to get back into climate and so he's in the process of doing that but he is working out a lot and we have a peloton and he's like become like a peloton addict oh. he went to New York to take a live class oh, hilarious okay and he's traveling for peloton he is like Michael, he's must be ripped right now. He's so he has like an eight pack. Oh god, he has an eight pack. It's insane. And then all summer long, all (laughs) I did, all I did was drink and eat. And so I literally said, I literally said to him the other day, I'm like, if you keep working out and losing weight, (laughs) and I keep drinking and And eating and gaining weight, we're gonna meet in the middle, and it's gonna be somewhere in the 160s, and it is gonna look really <laughs> not cool for both of us. Oh, that's that's not a sight I want to see. No, no. I'm like, you got to stop. You got to start gotta eating stop. some ice cream and stop you doing so much stop. cardio. You got to stop. Just... All right, we'll tell Michael to cool it with the Peloton. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> God, I'm jealous. You should make be friends with him on Peloton. Oh, God, I could use some extra cardio. Yeah. Well, no. it was awesome having you here. There's, I know we can go on and on. This is a very complex world. But thank you for spending time. I've been trying to get you on all summer, and now we got you. And thank you for having me. You know, we'll tell people where to find you if they need you. Hopefully they don't. But if they do, you are a great person and a great resource to contact. Yeah. But thanks for coming. It was fun. You're, yeah. you're awesome. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. I can't thank Stacey Feinberg enough for taking some time to break it down for us. Hopefully that was an education for all of us. You can find Stacey at Stacey1250, S-T-A-C-Y-1250 on the gram. You can always find me at Danny Brown LA or DannyBrownLA.com. We were voted Best Business Podcast LA 2019. So awesome. Thank you guys for the support. Please let friends and associates know about it and leave leave a comment, rate us, every rating every comment is a major impact on us and I so 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 appreciate it we got cool guests coming up John Orlando is coming from Action Junkies live out of Vegas and go back and check out James Ferrier and Laura Wilson of Natural Pilates and so many more Terry Heller all about the NWA story enjoy it and uh, let us know if there's anything we're missing anything you want us to improve on we're always open for business see ya